What up, what up? Welcome to the Man Cave. It's the Man Cave Football Podcast, the football podcast where we talk everything football related. And, uh, well, we try to sound smart in doing it. I'm your host, Dan Casper. As always, another loaded edition of the Man Cave Football Podcast coming at you. We got we got a boatload of topics to talk about. We're going to look at the NFC South as our division series continues looking at each division in the NFL and just kind of looking at some position needs uh, that they need to address this offseason. A couple waves of free agency already through, but we still got the draft coming up. So we'll take a look at the NFC South in this podcast. We're going to talk a little Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson, the longtime Packers wide receiver, retiring from the game, played with the Raiders last year. Talk about Jordy and his uh, his legacy in Green Bay. Where does he rank amongst uh, uh, the list of Packers wide receivers? There, there's some good ones over there. Uh, so we'll, we'll put Jordy on, on a ranking list of where I think Jordy ranks on the all-time Packers wide receivers power ranking list, if you will. Also talk a little Rob Gronkowski. For now, he's retiring for, from the Patriots, from the NFL. Uh, we'll discuss, you know, the, the topic that's been going around. Is, is he the best tight end ever? Some people think he is. Some people don't think he is. There's a couple, uh, maybe a small majority out there that think uh, that he's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, we'll talk a little Gronk uh, as well in this podcast. But we're going to open things up uh, with this episode to talk about uh, the owners' meetings and maybe the biggest thing to come out of the owner meetings uh, this week in Arizona. Now, uh, it, it, usually when you see these owner, owners' meetings, some rule changes come into play, and the big one to come out is the instant replay. Now, is instant replay concerning pass interference. Now, coaches will be able to challenge pass interference, defensive pass interference, and offensive pass interference, whether it was called or not. So obviously this is in direct relation to what happened in the NFC Championship game with the Saints and the Rams. So Sean Payton obviously was a big proponent of this. The uh, The coaches got together, it sounds like, and the coaches all came to a, a general agreement, uh, and then the owners ended up passing it. So now uh, we're going to be able to see coaches now. You know, for anybody who thinks that uh, this is going to slow down the game or, or anything like that, here's the thing to remember: you know, coaches aren't getting any more extra challenges. It's still going to fall into the same parameters. Coaches get two challenges. If you get both of them right, you get your third, and then all challenges under two minutes at the end of the half, at the end of the first half, and at the end of the game are going to come from the booth. Now, I, I get. You know, for some of those people who say, well, you know, it can make the game longer within those last two minutes of each half if we're going to be looking at pass interference calls. You can say that for any reviewable play within the final two minutes. So to to say that this is instantly going to be making the game longer, to me it's a little short-sighted because you can say that regarding every other single reviewable play. So I guess you could probably tell my thoughts on this already, whether I like the move or not. I like the move. Um, I, I think if you have the technology, if if fans can see it on their TV, because we have the technology technology to see it on the TV, if if we can see that, and if we have that ability uh, with the cameras and the film to get calls right, why not use it? Why not use it? Now, I don't want to see Instant Replay get to the point where we don't necessarily need officials on, on the field. I like the human element to all this. 
But there's still going to be a human element, a human error involved in all this, too, because it's going to be a strategy for coaches to decide whether they want to challenge these plays or not. It's not going to be a free willy-nilly thing to where you could take the officials completely off the field to where you don't need them. It's still going to be kind of a kind of a, a, a strategy for, from these coaches whether to decide to challenge plays or not. This just helps make things, uh, you know, make sure that they go right, that we get the calls right. So if we got that technology, why not use it? Use it in our everyday lives. Why not use it in sports right now? And yet you're still relying on that human element, that human error, by having these officials on the field, still making pivotal calls. They're still making some pivotal calls, and they're still uh, a real viable um, part of the game as well. So I like the move. I thought this was a smart move. Now, you know, to kind of counteract, well, this was just an emotional uh, an, an emotional decision, an overreaction from a play that happened on the big stage. You may be right, but sometimes we don't know whether a problem is a problem until that problem rears its ugly head in a big situation. Okay, sometimes we have to fix those things when it pops up into a situation that we don't want to see. You can fly by the seat sometimes and cross your fingers and hope a big issue like what we saw in the NFC Championship game doesn't happen, but when it does you have to address it. Call it an overreaction if you want. But you had to do something about it. And sometimes you need something like that to happen for an issue to get fixed. So all in all, I'm good with it. I hope, you know, I I hope it doesn't turn into, you know, you know there was one concern about, well, is this going to uh, affect Hail Mary plays at the end? And, and, you know, the coaches assured the owners that that was not going to be the intent of this and that's not going to happen. That's fine and dandy. You can say that now in, in meeting rooms. But once you get on the field and that adrenaline gets going and you get a little hot-headed, that could change there a little bit too. So, I mean, I hope we don't get to the point where – uh, it's just going to be this this flag challenge fest, and they decide to give coaches more challenge challenge flag opportunities and all that stuff. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want uh, to see us get to a point where every single play is challengeable. Or I should say, let me re- rephrase that. I don't want to get a, get to a point where we have unlimited challenges. That's what I'm trying to get at. I don't want to get to that point where we just have unlimited challenges. If we do, well, then, A, yes, these games will absolutely last longer, and then you can take the officials out of the game, which I don't want to see. I like the fact you get your two, you get two right, then you get a third, then under the two minutes, that official uh, in the booth can call uh, can call down to the, the, the official on the field and decide whether they want to challenge that or not. So I like the move. I like the move. Smart move. So Rob Gronkowski is now retired from the Patriots and from the NFL. Well, I guess you can say for now. <laughs> I mean, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, already putting it out there, not even, what, within a 24 hours of the news coming out that Rob Gronkowski was going to retire, that Drew Rosenhaus already come out saying, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back on the field at some point. I'm kind of in that camp. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Gronk comes back maybe a few games into the season, halfway through the season, something like that. Uh, but that would not surprise me at all. So, uh, But, you know, the talk surrounding Gronk right now is, is he 
the best tight end of all time? Is he a top tight end of all time? You know, some people do have Gronk as the top tight end of all time. Some uh, don't view him as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Some will put him on a list of top five, top ten. You know, uh, here's my list of uh, of tight ends that I think should be involved in the conversation, at least. Tony Gonzalez is on that list. Uh, Kellen Winslow is on that list. John Mackey is on that list. Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp, Ozzie Newsome, Mike Ditka, Dave Casper. Those are the guys that I would probably put in that mixture uh, of that list. Now, for me to rank them, I don't... I don't think you can necessarily just look at the stats and be like, oh, who, who's the all-time leading tight end in yardages or, or, t- or touchdowns? That's the best tight end of all time. That That's box score scouting. I don't like box score scouting. And it doesn't tell the whole picture. So there's more to it uh, when you rank these players, whether they're the best of all time, more to it than just stats or, or longevity of, of their careers. That could be a part of the equation. That could be a part of the formula. But that doesn't tell the whole story. That doesn't paint the whole picture. So if you're in the group of you think Gronkowski is the best uh, tight end of all time because he was such a matchup mismatch problem for defenses, he could block extremely well, he was just this huge target down the field, going down the field, and good luck trying to tackle him one-on-one, I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to go to Tony Gonzalez because all the guy did, all the guy did was stretch the field, you know, kind of like... Uh, an early version of prime Jimmy Graham, if you will, catching all those touchdowns, racking up all those yards. Not going to argue with you either. If you want to go a little old school, John Mackey, not going to argue with you a whole lot. But my pick for, for the best tight end of all time, if I'm making my top five list right now, if I'm making my top five list right now, my number one tight end probably would be Tony Gonzalez. I mean, he kind of transcended the position a little bit. You know, a playmaking tight end that's like a bigger version of a wide receiver, former basketball player. He kind of started that trend, if you think about it, of of these teams looking for former college basketball players to play that tight end position. Maybe open the door for a guy like Antonio Gates, another former basketball player. Jimmy Graham, former basketball player. So Tony Gonzalez was kind of like one of those first ones to – to kind of maybe open the door for, or open the eyes for some scouts, be like, hey, let's look in this basketball world. These bigger athletes, these taller athletes who are like 6'4, 6'5, 6'6, 6'7, put some more muscle on them, put some weight on them, 230, 240, 250. Let's make them a tight end. Tony Gonzalez was one of those first ones. So Tony Gonzalez, to me, is the number one tight end when you add everything into it. Could he have been a little bit better of a run blocker? Absolutely. But for me, on my list, Tony Gonzalez is number one. Number two, you all know I'm a little bit old school. I like my history. So I'm going to go John Mackey as my number two tight end of all time. Longtime Baltimore Colts tight end. Uh, Played one year with the San Diego Chargers. He's going there on my list. Then I probably would put Gronk at number three. I'd probably put Gronk at number three. Um, he was just such a mismatch problem. Now, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, well, the injuries and all that. Well, that's how he played the position. That's the style. He gave up his body. He used his body how many times to make the play. So for me, Gronk is the third best tight end of all time. He was such an intimidating presence on the field. Great run blocker. Uh, obviously a big receiving threat. He tilted the field 
when he was on there. So Gronk is number three for me. I'll probably go Kellen Winslow, uh, the first, not the second, uh, as my fourth tight end of all time. And then I'll go Shannon Sharp at number five. And just on the outside of that is probably probably Ozzie Newsome. Probably Ozzie Newsome just on the outside of that too. But, I mean, you, you know, we talk about Shannon Sharp and Tony Gonzalez. I mean, Shannon Sharp was a big play receiving tight end uh, as well. In the, in the NFL in the 90s. So, I mean, those two were kind of the top two tight ends in the 90s, mid to late 90s there. So uh, that that's my top five with, I guess, another six add on there. I'd put Ozzie Newsome in there. And, of course, you know, you could, you could throw in Mike Ditka. He, he's definitely uh, worthy of being in the top five there as well. Uh, he'd probably be my number seven. I guess, you know, I went from number top five list to already top seven here. But there's there's some good options out there. But for my money... The number one tight end of all time is Tony Gonzalez, and then Gronk, for me, falls around three. But again, with the tight end position, it kind of depends on what you want your tight end to do. Do you want them to be that receiving threat? Do you want them to be more in line, uh, you know, lined outside, lined up outside, involved in the blocking game or not? So it kind of depends on your preference of your tight end when you build these lists uh, of the best tight ends of all time. And when you look at that position of the tight end, you know, how many other positions out there in the NFL can you say, well, it kind of depends on the style of play that you want, and that's how you're going to rank that those players. Tight end, I mean, you know, when you talk wide receivers, well, it's kind of just generally, okay, who caught the most touchdowns and, and yards and, and yards per catch and all that sort of stuff. Running back, all right, who rushed for the most yards and most touchdowns? Tight ends, well, what do you want them to do? And that's how you kind of build your top, uh, top ranking list uh, with the tight ends there. Jordy Nelson also calling it a career for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so, you know, Rob Gronkowski to me is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Jordy Nelson, he he won't be going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He'll be going to the Packers Hall of Fame. But, uh, you know, we're just with the issues that wide receivers have to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the length of time some of the best of all time have taken to get in there, Jordy just, you know, he doesn't have the numbers to get in there. Uh, but he will be a Packers Hall of Famer. But, you know, question is, where does he rank in the all-time Packers list of, of wide receivers? There's some good ones out there. I'll give you my top five. First of all, my honorable mentions, guys who didn't make the top five. Uh, I'll throw in Antonio Freeman, doesn't make the top five for me. Greg Jennings, doesn't make the top five for me. Uh, Boyd Dollar, doesn't make the top five for me. Uh, uh, then uh, Robert Brooks, doesn't make the top five for me. So those are my those are my honorable mentions. Uh, and I'll throw in one more, too. No, I'm going to make a surprise one, too. Not really an honorable, honorable mention, but a potential top five. Kind of a little teaser. I'll explain if you're confused, like, what the heck are you talking about right now? Hold on, and I'll explain it here for a little bit. But my number five Packers all-time receiver, I'm going to go Donald Driver. Uh, you know, a lot of Packers fans would probably have Donald Driver number one or maybe top two or three based off the numbers that he's amassed uh, through his career with the Green Bay Packers, all-time leading receiver in that. And, yeah, that that's your preference. But, you know, Donald Driver to me was – he had a couple like where he was the number one guy for the Packers for a couple of those season, seasons through his tenure uh, with the Packers. But was he – can you really say, was he a dominating wide receiver? I mean, was he a dominating wide receiver? He was a really, really good wide receiver. But did he dominate 
at any point in his career. I'm not trying to knock on him because Donald Driver is one of my favorite players of all time. But when I get to my next four, you could say those guys dominated at some point in their career. And that leads it to my number four pick, which is Jordy Nelson. I think you could go, especially like that 2014 season, Jordy was dominant that year. Him and Aaron Rodgers were just dominant. I mean, how many big plays did Jordy and Aaron have? I mean, the back shoulder throw. Jordy could do anything outside, line up on the outside, go deep, go over the middle. Remember the 13, 2013 when Aaron uh, missed half the season and Matt Flynn was the quarterback? They kind of moved Jordy. They did move Jordy in that slot and had him going over the middle of the field to help out Matt Flynn, and Jordy became more of a possession wide receiver. So he excelled at that, too. And the, we talk, just mentioned the back shoulder throws, the way he was able to contort, or, you know, to kind of, you know, move his body and to different positions and and make some plays like that was just, it was, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Jordy was dominant at one point in his career. And you could say, well, he had Aaron Rodgers thrown to him and, and all that. But you know what? You still need to have that connection. You still need to be a, a pretty dang good wide receiver to put up some numbers like that. So Jordy is my fourth Packers wide receiver of all time. Number three, going with the Hall of Famer, James Lofton. Uh, him and Lynn Dickey, they put up some big numbers in Green Bay. Lofton left, played a little bit with the Raiders and the Bills. He's a pro football Hall of Famer, easily a top five wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. Number two for me, Sterling Sharp, a guy whose career ended way too short, but you talk about dominating performances. He had some extremely impressive seasons for the Packers in the early 90s. I mean, dominating, dominating performances for the Packers. Yeah, I, It would have been really fun to watch him and Favre play for a couple more years together when Favre started to really kind of figure it out and get those MVPs that Super Bowl year. You have to wonder... What Sharp's numbers really would have been if Sharp played for a few more years? He would easily be in the Hall of Fame. Easily be in the Hall of Fame with his brother Shannon and amongst those other wide receivers on there. So, you know, ignoring the fact that his career was cut short due to injury, the dude was extremely, extremely talented. Extremely talented and was dominant at one point in his career. And my number one wide receiver, which shouldn't surprise a whole lot of people, if uh, you know who I am, number one, who I think is a top two wide receiver of all time, not just in Packers, but in football history, Don Hudson. Don Hudson, again, don't discredit him because of the era that he played in. Dude was dominant in the era that he played in and what I think could play in this era too. Fast, played it, you know, the one of the things – that people knock him on. Well, he played in there when it wasn't really a passing game. To me, that's actually a little bit more impressive. He had quarterbacks that didn't couldn't throw like they could today, and he was still able to do some of the stuff that he did, going up against defensive backs and defenses that could have manhandled him. Yeah, that, that to me is actually a little bit more impressive. Don Hudson, number one, Packers wide receiver of all time. Let's wrap up the podcast looking at the NFC South now. Uh, we got this. This is an interesting division with the Falcons, the Saints, the Panthers, the Buccaneers, those teams in there. Let's start off with the Buccaneers. New head coach Bruce Arians hoping to uh, kind of make Jameis Winston into that franchise quarterback that the Buccaneers were hoping 
he would become when they drafted him just a just a few years ago. So I look at the Bucks. They you know they moved on from Deshaun Jackson. Maybe they could get another wide receiver to pair up with Mike Evans and help out Jameis Winston there. Uh, they got Howard the tight end there too as another option. But maybe they look at another wide receiver bringing him in to work with Evans and help out Winston and getting another another option there. Another running back uh, to help him out, you know, build around Jameis Winston, give him some options on the offense. And remember Bruce Arians, when he was with Arizona, David Johnson and that, so maybe they look at uh, that versatile running back passing game in the running game. But I they look at, I got to look at this defense. Linebacker, no Quan Alexander. They're switching to a 3-4 defense with Todd Bowles coming over. Maybe get some edge rushers to fit that three-four mold. So I'm looking at that, uh, you know, as they try to kind of rebuild that defense, especially with Gerald McCoy now kind of up in the air with Bruce Arians' latest comments. Not sure if he's going to be there or not or pass this season. So looking at that defensive uh, defensive line there, corners, secondary. So really, the Bucks really have to address the defense in this offseason, especially within the division that they play in, going up against the Saints and the Falcons. And who knows with the Panthers, uh, with, with Cam Newton and his health, which leads me right into the Panthers. Uh, when I'm looking at this team, what do they need to address uh, this offseason? Cam Newton, his health with his shoulder. How about getting him some uh, legit help up front to block for him, some offensive line help, keep him up, keep him protected. Now, a lot of that is dependent on Cam Newton not always using his body uh, to, to, you know, uh, Get the extra yard, if you will. He's got to protect himself a little bit better so he's not so banged up all the time. But he is a big physical quarterback that's not afraid to take a hit. And that's part of his game, though, too. So he is going to have some uh, nicks and dings on him, but maybe be a little bit more careful at the stage, at this stage in his career. So, but, you know, the Panthers could still get some offensive line help, not only to help him, but maybe Christian McCaffrey, too, the running back. Surround him with some talent to throw to. Greg Olson's getting near the end of his career, and he's been going through some injuries. Get him some wide receivers and maybe another younger tight end. And uh, looking at this defense, too, Carolina needs some more edge rushers. Julius Peppers retiring uh, this this past offseason as well. So looking at uh, re, kind of regrouping that and getting more players uh, on the defensive line and getting some edge rushers for the Panthers, especially within this division going after the quarterbacks with Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, and uh, Jameis Winston. Let's look at the Falcons. Falcons, defense, 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 and more defense. Uh, the Falcons last year, Dan Quinn. Uh, I, I I don't know if he's on the hot seat right now. I know they went through a lot of injuries last year in, in Atlanta. They lost a lot of key guys due to injury. But uh, that defense really needs to step it up this year, stay healthy. But they've got to get some more talent on there. And I mean from all across the board, interior defensive line. They need some edge rushers. They need some cornerback help, and they need some linebacker help. So, yes, they pretty much need help at every position on this defense. They've got some fast playmakers. I like Jones, the linebacker, Deion Jones. Uh, They've got some, I mean, they've got uh, um, Vic Beasley on the edge there. So they've got some parts to this, but they need more help on that defense. They need more help on that defense. Also, uh, maybe get some offensive line depth added there too to help protect Matt Ryan and the franchise quarterback. Then to round it out with the Saints, I think the Saints obviously they're going for it this year. I like the addition of Jared Cook bringing in that tight end to help out Drew Brees. I really like that pickup from from the Saints. 
Uh, that might be one of their missing keys uh, on that offense. They do lose their, their running back, Ingram, but they got Alvin Kamara. So, uh, I mean, they'll be fine there. So when I'm looking at the Saints, you know, yes, they got Jared Cook, but maybe bringing in a younger option to kind of sit behind him and have another tight end for Drew Brees to throw to. We know Brees likes his tight ends. Uh, also, I'm looking at the defensive line depth with Rankins getting hurt at, at the end of this last season, maybe putting some depth there, but also getting a, a playmaking linebacker too. You know, they, they've got some nice linebackers with, with Klein and that, but they need some more. Uh, they need more of a playmaking type of linebacker on that defense for the Saints. Saints don't really have a whole lot of holes. You know, they're a Super Bowl team for a reason. So, I mean, they're they're in a, a spot, a nice spot where, you know, just get some added depth to some of your positions. I mean, they're they're going to be a Super Bowl favorite for a reason. they got a lot of talent all across this board right now. but uh, And they're kind of in a spot now where they can just add some depth uh, to this point. So I, I think that's what the Saints – should do this offseason, but uh, I really like that Jared Cook signing for the Saints. Really, really like that one. All right, that's this edition of the Man Cave Football Podcast. I'm Dan Casper. Appreciate you tuning in as always. Hey, do me a favor. Subscribe to my podcast. If you have an Android, just download the Google Podcast app and subscribe. iOS users, download the Apple Podcast app and subscribe. Or as always, you can find us on the web. Appreciate you if you could rate us as well. Just uh, make it a good one if you can. We'll chat with you next time.